the advice that I gave myself when I was sitting there with my daughter and coming up with this idea of, let's just see if we keep going and not quit what this would be. Yeah. And I think that when you tell the universe that this is what you want to do, and then you keep taking those steps, the journey will be revealed, right? right? Because I, I personally don't feel like I'm fully responsible for this. I feel like I was just obedient and following through with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's what has to happen. It's like you have to trust that the journey is gonna be revealed yeah. and the next step is always gonna be shown. Welcome to a new episode of the Same Business, Different Day podcast. I'm your host, Zeke Corley, with a new special guest for you. While preparing for this show with our guest today, I've learned that Rochelle Gordon is not just influential, but intentional. Intentional with her educational path, intentional with her business decisions, and intentional with the work she's done in her community. We should get a lot from this conversation today. So take notes as I sit down with the amazing Rochelle Gordon. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, as you know, you know, we talked about the journey. Yeah. And because the journey can be helpful to others when they see, you know, what we've gone through and the decisions that we made. And you were just telling me about one very important decision too, uh, in one of the moves that you made after your daughter was born. But we'll get to that. I wanted to start off by finding out uh, where are you from? Where you were born? So I was born in Panama. Oh, okay. <laughs> hit me, hit me with a right hook from the beginning. Okay. I was born in Panama City, Panama. Okay. Uh, lived there. Well, my parents are originally from there. Okay. They actually lived across the street from each other, so they okay. dated each other from the time they were fifteen. That's awesome. And they got married. Had um, my older brother and me. And when I was five, my dad joined. The military okay. here in the States. Okay. So we moved here mm -hmm. um, and I, I started kindergarten here. Yeah. You and, have any memories uh, of Panama? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why I have so many memories, I think, is because we still have a home there. Okay. My, um, my grandmother, she's now passed, but our, her house was a family home, yeah. right? So she had the top level and then she had two apartments downstairs for her sons, for okay. her two sons. Okay. So when she passed, obviously... You know, the house was my dad and his uncles. So we would always still go there. Yeah. But even as a kid, every year we would go and visit and stay the summer. And, you know, we had friends there. So everyone kind of in that street was just always there. Yeah. No one really moved. So You know what's cool, though, too, though? I mean, that's just smart putting the family all together like that. Mm -hmm. So you said she's got the house and she's got two apartments for the boys. That's... That's very smart. And probably you, you probably got something from that yeah. and learned about generational wealth and stuff going right. forward. Right. right. And the importance of keeping that house. It was so important yeah. to all of us, right. not just to my dad and his brother, but also to myself. Yeah. So, you know, even when I, it's funny, we recently found some paperwork, like some deeds from okay. the house. Uh -huh. And we saw how she was able to even purchase the land mm -hmm. and her mother she put on the deed as well. Okay. Um, so it was, it was interesting how that long ago that they were um, talking to the right people and doing the right things in order to preserve their land. That's it. So that was, that was really important to find mm -hmm. now because I realized, wow, she did that much work yeah. to keep this property and this land, yeah. then we have to make sure we keep it. That's right. I love it. I love yeah. it. Okay, and you still been going back to the same was the last time you oh, went? Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't, my parents are actually leaving tonight. My parents are flying out. I'm taking them to LA tonight. Um, they're flying down there. They go every year. Um, they usually go around this time of year mm -hmm. um, because of Carnaval. Carnaval uh, is um, really popular in Latin America and the Caribbean um, and New Orleans is, is, it's a different kind of Carnaval, but you know, similar concept, but it's just a time of year that people like to be there. Yeah. So every year they manage to find the reason to go back. <laughs> <laughs> then you get to 
uh, five years old, you start kindergarten in what city? So we were stationed in North Carolina, Jacksonville, North Carolina. Okay. Um, when we came to the country, though, we came in through New York. Mm-hmm. So my dad had his stepmother in New York and his dad was in Connecticut. So we went to New York first. Mm-hmm. So the culture shock yeah. of leaving Panama and landing <laughs> in New York, yeah. even though there's a lot of Panamanians in New York, mm-hmm. it's a huge difference. Like the weather, the people, yeah. the aggressiveness, <laughs> you know, as kids, it's like, it, it was just, city, it was so. very, very different. So yeah. it was um, a little scary. Mm-hmm. but uh, it's a good thing we were young, mm-hmm. you know, so we kind of just went with the flow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we went from New York and then we lived in North Carolina, which was um, a very different culture mm-hmm. than New York. Yeah. Right. New York was very much like the hustle and bustle in North Carolina because we were on base. Mm-hmm. We were kind of isolated a little bit, but because we drove to New York a lot, it was like an 11 hour drive. Mm-hmm. And my dad would always do that, um, like Friday night, pack us up in the car mm-hmm. and we would get on the road and go to New York. Um, so that's the only time we ever really like left the base. And you know? Were you visiting family in New York? Yeah, so okay. he had his stepmother and his his dad and um, um, step siblings what in New York. What branch of the military was he? Marines. Okay, and uh, did you ever think about joining the military yourself? He never, he never encouraged us to do that. Okay. You said you had an older brother. Mm-hmm. Not even, he didn't encourage him either. Never. He okay. never encouraged us. And I think he did it out of necessity. He did it out of, I need to do something different for my family. Yeah. And I need to create an opportunity. Right. So I'm going to go and do this. But the stories that he told us about joining and what he had to go through... He didn't want us to have to do that. So he never encouraged us to join. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you didn't get pushed to join the military. Did you have thoughts of what you wanted to be when you grew up? I always thought I would be a teacher. I was okay. always the the sibling that was um, making everybody play school. <laughs> I was okay. always a teacher. <laughs> yeah. So my cousins, t- till today, my cousins will always tell you, it's like, oh my goodness, if you go through their house, it's like Rochelle is the one making us <laughs> do homework and play school. Oh, wow. So yeah, everyone thought that I would be a teacher for sure. Mm-hmm. And it seems yeah. that you really like school too, because following your education path, you were you were really into school. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. I've always been, uh, I wouldn't say a career student, but definitely um really really enjoyed school i did really well in um in high school um you made the decision what what college did you wind up going to so i went to st mary's did you go directly from high school yes okay yes so i got a four-year scholarship and that's what got you to the bay area well i was already in the bay area oh so we we okay so we lived in north carolina my dad got stationed here in Oceanside. So we okay. drive cross country, yeah. we come to Oceanside. Um, actually, we went to 29 Palms. Okay. And then we spent a year there and that was, 29 Palms is like a shock to your system, you know? <laughs> You're like in the desert. Just like New York nothing. was a shock. Then you right. Got so, it sounds like you remember all of the traveling, the trips. Yeah, Those yeah. Like, you know, like we because drove they were across like country. These, they were like these family moments, right? Yeah. You're like driving cross country and and I always remembered, like, my dad was very calculated about how he planned, um, you know, how long he would drive, where he would stop, you know, and, mm-hmm. and stay. Yeah. Um, so we, we moved to 29 Palms, and we lived there for a year, and then we come to Oceanside. But you had to go to school in each of these places. I mean, that's that right. thing with being a military child is, right, you wind up at these different schools. Right. And like you said, culture shock. Like, how, how do you deal with all of that? I was just always a good student, you know? And so you focus it, more on that than socially? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think so because now when I look at my daughter and I'm like, she's a very like girly girl and very social and, mm-hmm. you know, has all these friends and mm-hmm. it's, it's I, I love that for her. But I was very much a bookworm. I was very much all about the studies, mm-hmm. always reading, um, not as social yeah. as she is. And she's a dancer, so she's... Um, she's very, uh, it's funny because when she's on stage, she's an extrovert, but Mm. she was very shy. She was like extremely shy to the point where she didn't even talk to her teachers Mm. in preschool. Mm. Um, but then dance really got her out of that. Mm -hmm. 
So I think I'm probably a lot more reserved. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was always just a very studious person. So I think that's how I was able to kind of just adapt in new environments. I was always even if they thought I wasn't going to do well, like I just always would go in there and like figure out where they were in the school and still do well. So yeah, I think that's what helped me transitioning because we moved almost every three years. I think we were moving every three to five years. Yeah. And then, so you finally get to Oceanside. So we get to Oceanside and we live on base Uh again. There was a period where we didn't live on base and I went to Libby Elementary um, but for the most part, we lived on base. Um, so I did most of elementary there. And that was about 85. And then um, went to Jefferson Middle School, well, junior high. And in the middle of junior high, we find out we're moving to San Francisco. So we leave and we go to San Francisco. And that that was another another culture shock. Another culture shock. <laughs> you leave Little Oceanside, yeah. and now you're kind of thrown in the middle of this big, big city. city. Right. And I was I was really upset because I thought I was going to get into this magnet school, mm. and we missed the deadline, so I had to go to a regular school. <laughs> right. We'll call it a regular school. Sure. And I was like, oh, you know. What's going to happen? Am I going to keep up my, you know, grades and stuff? Mm-hmm. So it worked out fine. It worked out fine. And then I went to um, Galileo High School. Uh, my brother was already there. So mm-hmm. I went there. And that was, um, that was an interesting transition for me. Because that really gave me the feel of, like, the big city yeah. school. Yeah. Um, so we were being bused from the base. We lived on Treasure Island. Okay. Treasure Island is an island that sits in the middle of the Bay Bridge. Yeah. So we were being bused from Treasure Island um, to high school. Um, so I, I learned a lot about just navigating life, just, you know, kind of doing that. Now, because what part of that was because of the age range? And then what part of it is the city, right? Because this is a part of a time in your life, really high school age, where you're trying to figure out life anyway, I would well, say. And the reason why I say that is because here in Oceanside, um, you know, the, the kids kind of know each other growing up, right? They mm-hmm. go from elementary to middle school and so forth. They, and we, they kind of, we're kind of in a bubble. Small we're a little bit in a field. bubble, yeah. you know? There, it's like... You're leaving home and parents don't have cell phones to call you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going into the city. I had a job after school. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of navigating my way around the city right. all day yeah. and then coming home in the evening, yeah. you know, yeah. on the public <laughs> public bus, yeah, you know. You're a grown up. <laughs> yeah, we're like doing grown up stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know. So it's, uh, I wasn't in a bubble. Yeah. You know, so it's it was a, a really good opportunity to kind of navigate my way through um, that part of my life. So there were a lot of things that I learned. Um, There weren't a lot of gang stuff, but the school was um, Asian and Black. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were some some Asian gangs. You know, we saw some things happen that you wouldn't see in Little Oceanside. Mm -hmm. But I think for the most part... um, it was a good experience. Um, I was able to do some things that, you know, was was unique to San Francisco. I, I did some fashion show. I was known for like doing the fashion shows there. And at the time I had an interest in fashion and we wanted to like raise money. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, let's just do fashion shows. So we started doing them and then it became an annual thing. And everyone would like audition. So they were, they were like, I can't believe you didn't pick me. I mean, it was just, it's funny because now I have friends who still talk about the fact that I didn't pick them to be in the fashion show. And I'm like, I didn't pick you. So, um, so it meant a lot. And it meant to, uh, I think, being active in high school and doing activities. And mm-hmm. I ran track. Um, and I ran track because my dad ran for Panama. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... In the Olympics, way back when, he did hurdles. In the Olympics? For Panama. Awesome. So I was like, okay, well, 
if my dad did it, then I can do it. Mm -hmm. So here I am, you know, attempting to do hurdles in high school with no track. I'm running on the football field. Mm -hmm. And my dad, you know, he's coming out to help coach me how to do this. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried to run hurdles on grass. Uh, grass or not grass, I can tell you my story. You tell me your story first. I'll tell you my story. Yeah, it didn't end well. It didn't end well. It was it was pretty tragic. Yeah. So, um, but you know, it was the inspiration came from him doing it. Yeah. No, right? I get it. Me no, seeing these awesome. pictures, and I'm like, oh wow, yeah, you did. Okay, so well, come teach me how to do it. Yeah. So well, why did you have to do her? You were fast. I mean, obviously, well, I, did other, I did other. I did other things, right? Yeah. So I was I was fast. Yeah. But. Um, I thought, well, if my dad did hurdles, I can do hurdles. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, so, well, hurdles is it? You got to have a different thing. heart to do yeah, hurdles, right? Yeah. It's, so it's a whole my thing. my story is, uh, I ran I, we hundred, two hundred, four hundred. I didn't. I hated, but I did it. Long jump, high jump, triple jump. Right. Those are my my sports, my events. But um, somehow, one of the kids who was supposed to be in hurdles got sick. Yeah. And they needed me to fill in. I had never even practiced the hurdles, right? So I'm running the 100 hurdles. And if you listen to people next to you, mm -hmm. you'll hear the, all the hitting of the hurdles. Like they're they're just clicking right over right. the top of them, but they're running. Go to the next one. Some of them fall down, whatever. Go to the next one. I'm hearing that and it's messing with my head. Yeah. So I'm running. I kind of hit the first one. and I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. So for the next eight, nine hurdles... I jumped over with two feet. <laughs> I just jumped. I'm not doing that. And I hear the whole crowd laughing and everything. It was a terrible experience. But hey, I didn't belong there and I was fine. I brushed it off. Like, don't have me do it again. Yeah, I will never do it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I certainly was not about to trip over one of them hurdles and fall on my face. <laughs> I jumped yeah. it like I was on a basketball court. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. Yeah, that was wise. That was wise. <laughs> Yeah, it's, there's definitely a cadence to it. It's like you mm -hmm. have to have your steps right, and it has to start off right yeah. in order to hit all of them. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was an interesting lesson. <laughs> so that ended my track career. <laughs> um, Join us, Couples Unfiltered, the podcast where we have intricate conversations with very interesting couples from all walks of life. We delve into the profound difficulties these couples have faced and how they've overcome despite. These are genuine couples with genuine stories, and we're so excited to be able to share their wealth of knowledge with you. That's Couples Unfiltered. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. But here's yeah. the thing that's intriguing to me is that um, the number of cities you said that you have been in, uh, South Carolina, New York, 29 Palms, Oceanside, you went to high school in San Francisco, but you stayed in San Francisco to go to college. I did. So you did like the city. You, you know, you, you, I'm sure you had options. You said you were studious, you, you know, but. Right, right. So I was going to follow my parents. They decided to come back down here. Okay. I, I was going to follow them back down and go to San Diego State. Mm -hmm. And then um, there were some students from my high school that were going out to St. Mary's to visit. And they were like, oh, do you want to come with us? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure. So they, everybody has to cross the Bay Bridge. They're coming across the Bay Bridge. They pick me up and they take me with them. Mm -hmm. So we go to Moraga and I get there and it's almost like, ah, like the birds <laughs> are singing and the, the cherry blossoms are yeah. blooming. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to that campus, but when you drive in, the streets are lined in cherry blossoms. Nah. It's the most majestic thing. And at the very end is the chapel. Okay. Right. So there, it's like, ranked one of the most beautiful campuses beautiful. in the world. And I didn't know that. Uh -huh. So I get there and I'm like, where are you guys taking me? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I get there and I fall in love with the campus. Mm -hmm. And then I fall in love with the idea of going to a smaller school, mm -hmm. right? Because I feel like, oh, well, wow, I'm really going to like know my teachers and um, guaranteed I'll like get through this in four years. You know, right. it, it, it just felt like the right place. Mm -hmm. And then... And then I thought, wow. And then it's also a religious environment. I've never been to a religious school before. Mm -hmm. This was my first time. But I thought, wow, there has to be something to be said about that. Sure. Right? Like being in an environment where um, God is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think in the past, I never went to a religious school just because my parents couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. 
So this time around, I'm paying for it or figuring yeah. out how to pay for yeah. it. So, um, so I go, I do the tour, and I really like it. And then I realize, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And I also don't know if I'm going to get housing because it was a little bit late in the process. But our advisor at Gal was there, and he was an alumni. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to him, and I said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in going here, but I need housing, and I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. So he makes a phone call. And I don't know who he calls, but next thing I know, I have a letter with a four-year scholarship. Wow. Out of all the students that went on this visit, yeah. I'm the only one that got this four-year scholarship. Wow. And housing. Yeah. He, like, somehow bumped me to the top of the housing list. So if that's not God, I don't know what it is. Right. But it was, like, divine. So my parents are like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know, but, you know, I have a scholarship and housing. So I think I'm just going to do this. Yeah. So that's how I was able to go. Wow. Yeah. So I got, I was able to get a job. I had jobs the entire time I was there, but I was able to get a job just to like handle my um, regular ex expenses. Yeah, yeah. And then I took out, I think I took out like a small loan, like a student loan mm -hmm. um, to help with that. But yeah, it was, Amazing. Well, you also took the initiative to find somebody to talk to, right? You know, and a lot of these students, they don't. They, they have the same situation. They're faced with that same obstacle and don't know. Just, you just got to ask. Tell them your situation. Right. Let them know, you know, what you're willing to do for to go to school for four years and, and maybe uh, it might work that out for you. That intentional thing, right? Absolutely. That'd be like, this is where I'm going to go. I'm going to figure it out. Got to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, so that, like that was... That was definitely the case there. And every, every year, I always had a job. Mm -hmm. My freshman year, I interned with a program called Inroads. Okay. Inroads was a program that you apply to, and they, they take um, underrepresented students, Black, Latino, Asian, um, Native American students, and you interview with different companies okay. in the Bay Area. And they're nationwide. You interview with different companies. And if you're selected as an intern with that company, then you're now an inroader. Every weekend, you're in kind of coaching sessions with them, like workshops. Okay. And so they're kind of coaching you through this corporate process. So I got an internship with Bank of America. So from my freshman year that summer, every summer, I was at Bank of America in the corporate office. Wow. So I was doing like this rotation through uh -huh. different departments. and. I didn't even realize how significant that was yeah. until I got to my senior year and I realized mm -hmm. that I already knew where I was going to work when I graduated way before everybody else did. Like I just, I knew that they were going to create a position for me because I knew everyone there. Yeah. And even though they hired me as a project manager, not something they ever did mm -hmm. with someone just coming out of school. Yeah. But because I had worked yeah, that experience. Yeah. there as a project manager, as they an knew intern, you were capable. right? They they knew me. They created a position. Um, I already had kind of the corporate training. Yeah. Because I had spent the last four years doing it. So every student I came across, I was like, "You have to join Inroads. Like this is something you have to do, even if you're not going into corporate. You just need to do it because the training is." is beyond anything you can get anywhere else. Amazing. That's great. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that advice. First of all, just because my daughter is in her freshman year of college right yeah. now and in San Francisco. And, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I love the fact that a kid knows what their future looks like even before they graduate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You've got options at least. You know, you don't have to take the job e even. But at least you know that you could be working for this company uh, before you even left. It's good yeah. to get that experience. One of the other things that I noticed um, when I was researching you is the, um, your focus on uh, business and communications. Mm -hmm. In the show, we talk about this a lot, uh, that if you don't study anything else, study business, right? right? Like, regardless of what you plan on doing in life, that's going to be useful for you. Is that what, what got you to... Your, your focus? So I, I originally started with, um, with business as my major. Mm -hmm. 
And then I realized that I didn't really like accounting. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I really don't like accounting and finance. So yeah. um, then I found that I was a little bit more interested in communication. So I kind of mm -hmm. switched my majors to mm -hmm. communications and then business as a minor. But I just always was interested in business and yeah. concepts around business. So interning at a bank was um, was really fascinating for me because I was not doing banking. Mm -hmm. You know, I was really more on like the technology side. And back in, back in the day when online banking was just starting, mm -hmm. that was my project. Wow. Like I was working on online banking back in the 90s. Wow. Um, when I wasn't even comfortable with, you know, doing my banking online. <laughs> I was the one behind the project. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was convincing my dad, oh, do our online banking. And he's like, are you doing it? I'm like, well, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not quite yet. Yeah. So, you know, it was like I was I was kind of in the middle of innovation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what was always driving me. That's always driven me in all of the jobs that I've ever had. It's always been doing things that are innovative and yeah. new and different and being able to kind of see where we're going. Mm -hmm. We're not quite there yet, but where are we going? Right. So convincing our executive team that you need to invest money into online banking because we're not there yet yeah. and you don't have the people yet. Yeah. But when they get there, you need to be ready. That's it. You need to have the technology and the infrastructure and everything ready so that when people in the, and right then, back then we went on dial up, right? Mm, it's like nobody yeah, had, Right, we didn't have the bandwidth yeah. that we have now, but imagine if the banks weren't ready yeah. for that. And Bank of America, the largest bank, was cutting edge yeah. in this. Yeah. So, you know, convincing them, keep putting money into this mm -hmm. and into this department because we have to be ready. Like the the attention to detail that must that yeah. must, like not everybody could be a project manager. Right. You. Um, who would you recommend? What kind of person would you recommend that type of a job to? So, you know, with project management, you have to be able to see the big picture, know where you're going, mm -hmm. and then convince everybody else on the team that they're going with you. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of it is about the, the kind of the facilitation and the coordination and reminding people what they're working towards. Because when you're in it, and this is probably for every project I've ever worked on, when you're in it, it's a grind. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you're grinding and you're like getting things done and you're putting the pieces together. And um, sometimes people can lose track of where they're going, right? So you're, you're really the one that's like, okay, now we're here on this path, right? You're kind of mapping out the whole path um, and making sure that you're hitting those milestones and making sure that the project is funded, um, and that, you know, your technology is being released and you have the right people in place. It's like it's, there's this dance yeah. that's happening. So it's uh, and I really enjoyed that. Like, I really enjoyed that. And I was able to work on a lot of different kinds of projects, whether it was technology or building a new building or rolling out a new brand. Um, it, it's the same process. Yeah. You're a boss. <laughs> You're the kind of person <laughs> somebody should get behind. But now you did mention one thing, though having the right people in place, yeah. right? And so what happened, what do you do or how do you deal with that when you've got uh, somebody who's either not performing or saying, I would do it differently and you know, how do you deal with that? Because that's obviously inevitable, right? I'm always open to how they would do it differently. <laughs> okay. I mean, you have to, you have mm. to have smarter people on your team. Sure. Like you have to have people that are gonna challenge you, right? And you have to be open to that. And I've, I've always, believed in servant leadership where, um, you know, I'm, I'm on the ground um, working for my team, mm. right? So regardless of what level I'm at, I'm, I'm present, you mm -hmm. know, I'm present, I'm in the meetings, I'm solving problems, moving hurdles out of the way. Yeah. So my teams have never felt like, oh, Rochelle's just over in her office and we're just reporting. No, I'm like in the in the trenches with them, sometimes maybe too much. You know, mm. sometimes I'm in the trenches a little too much. But um, I find that I have a really good sense of when I need to step out a little bit mm -hmm. and let them do their thing and when I need to, like, jump back in. Um, and that's just risk management. You know, risk management is just knowing um, 
what the failure points are going to be before they happen, right? right? And laying yeah. out, okay, if we if we come up on this issue, what are we going to do to navigate that? Right. And, um, you know, that's just from training, you yeah. know? It's just from doing a lot of different things and realizing, okay, this is that kind of situation, so we kind of need to look out potentially these hurdles. Yeah. Um, and then listening to people. You know what, yeah, really, listening to your people. I, I got to say, um, and I know this is like, it's really kind of off subject, but it really is. Everything you just said just had me, just reminded me of parenting. Oh. <laughs> just being a good parent. Sounds yes. like you're a good, I, I bet you're a great parent. That's, that's, that's what I was getting out of that. Uh, let's get to the reveal. Um, we will continue this conversation with Rochelle, but let me tell you a little bit more about what she's been up to. Rochelle is the self-funded and self-made certified tea specialist and owner of Bliss Tea and Treats, the charming tea shop in downtown Oceanside serving over 40 types of loose leaf tea and delectable treats. Rochelle is also the founder of nonprofit organization Generational Black Pioneers, an, an initiative dedicated to celebrating and promoting the rich history and contributions of black leaders within local communities. Welcome again, Michelle, to the show. Now we got a lot more to talk about. Yes. This is cool. It's, yes. it's good to know about your upbringing and how all of this came about and how you got here. Mm -hmm. um, but let's start back at, at Bliss Tea and Treats. Now, I've been there twice. So um, I, I can speak from experience that it's a great little spot. I love, I shouldn't even say little. It's actually bigger than any tea shop I've ever been to. Um, but it's still got that quaint feeling. It's beautiful. 40 different types of teas. Like, you know, the selection's awesome. Um, the first time I went, I was doing dry, dry January and a bunch of guys, we said, we gotta find, we gotta find alternatives, something else to drink. <laughs> How about this tea shop? And Will yeah. knew about the tea shop. He said, let's go over there. And um, it was awesome. That was, and it's just six guys just all sitting right. around teapots. And of course we made a mess. Somebody spilled something. It's all kind of stuff happened, but mm -hmm. we're learning, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and uh, I hope nobody felt uncomfortable in there or surprised that all these guys are in there drinking. No, uh, no, we get a lot of guys. Yeah. We get a lot of guys. Good, good. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, I had to go back. I went back with my daughter another time and she loves tea and she said that was her favorite tea shop. So how did you get into that in the first place? So I grew up drinking tea. Mm -hmm. uh, Is that a Panamanian I think thing? It's, you know, I think it's a West Indies thing. I think okay. it's a, I think it's uh it's a Panamanian thing for sure. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, in Panama, you don't necessarily even go buy tea. Like you just go outside and pick mint out of the yard and make some tea, okay. you know, it's like bush tea, okay. what it's called. But yeah, so we grew up drinking tea um, and that's probably pretty common among West Indies. Mm -hmm. And um, then when I came here, you know, tradition continues. It's like, you don't go to school unless you drink something hot. Mm. I just, all, that's always been kind of my beverages choice. I don't drink soda, I don't drink coffee. So I, I tend to gravitate. I there's there's water and there's tea. Right. Um, but then but there's so many different kinds of tea. There's so many different kinds of tea. And I just found that, you know, I, I've traveled to a lot of different parts of the world. And, you know, you go to, I used to do a lot of projects in Japan. And I would sit in meetings. And a lot of times I was the only woman in the room. Mm. But the other woman in the room was coming in and serving us tea. Mm. You know, so it was so a part of the culture that even in a meeting, you know, they were serving you tea. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's there's no part of the world that I've been to that tea is not a part of the culture. You know, you go out to eat, it's, you go to a Chinese restaurant, it's the bookend. You know, the beginning of your meal, you get tea. At the end of the meal, you get tea. And I didn't realize that there was a purpose for that until I started in the tea business. I realized that it's almost preparing your, your digestive system right. to process the food. Yeah. Right? Um, there's certain teas that you want to drink if you're having greasy foods. You know, mm. so I didn't know that until I started studying tea and doing the classes for the tea specialist that I realized, oh, there's kind of a purpose for all of this. Yeah. It's listed on your menu. Like, you, this is for digestion. This yeah. is for headaches. This is for, like, you've got so many different, so it's, it's like medicine. 
in kind a sense. Of, yeah. 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 It's, it, and if you think about it, before medicine was a thing, what did people use? They used herbs, mm. right? Mm -hmm. They would just grow things and it was far more natural. Yeah. But our ancestors knew what herb to go pick for what. Yeah. Right? So it's like, when did we lose that? When did we lose that understanding mm -hmm. of these herbs are meant to heal us, right? Yeah. They're meant to care for us. Yeah. Um, we just go for the quick, just pop the pill. Drugs. Yeah. Right, just pop the <laughs> pill, use the synthetic stuff. But, you know, like for sleeping, some people will just take melatonin, mm -hmm. right? But that's a synthetic drug. It's mm -hmm. like, why wouldn't you just take valerian, which is an herb, and it will actually help you sleep better? Wow. So, it's, you know, it's things like that. It's like, when did we lose our connection to mm -hmm. naturalness and the herbs of the earth that are meant to help us and just resort to quick. So that's what fascinates me. Okay. What fascinates me about tea is if you look at the, the centennials of, um, like, have you seen that show, The Blue Zone? No. Okay, so The Blue Zone looks at people around the world and those who are centennials, they live to 100 okay. plus. Okay. And they look at what are the practices that they follow. Mm -hmm. One of the things that all of them do is drink tea. Okay. All of them. They all drink tea. And because tea does these natural things for your body, you know, it helps you stay regular. It helps you sleep better. It, you know, it's just, it's just something that um, all of these countries do naturally. So I think that um, that's, that's really what drew me to it. Now the, the, the digestive tea and the ones for depression and anxiety and so forth that we have on the menu, those are a result of the pandemic. Oh. So because we opened during the pandemic, we opened May of 2020. Um, so we opened for Mother's Day um, during the pandemic. And I had customers coming in and they were like, you know, I have these kids, they're at home, they can't go to school, mm -hmm. they're depressed. Mm -hmm. No one knew what anxiety was until the pandemic hit. And then everyone was like, oh, yeah, we all have anxiety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so people were coming in and they were talking to me and they were saying, hey, you know, do you have anything for this? Do you have anything for that? So then I started blending teas. Mm. So then I started researching all of these ingredients that I could put together to create um, these blends. And then I started finding these recipes yeah. of tea blends. So... In my free time, I was reading tea books and I was reading, you know, how to blend. And I was kind of like a mad scientist a little bit. Yeah. I'm sitting there yeah. and I'm like putting this together and I want it to taste right. So let's add mm -hmm. some lemon balm. And, and then what I found was that's really where I was excited. I was really, I mean, the tea shop is cute mm -hmm. and I love decorating it and so forth. But where I really get excited mm -hmm. is with the blending. I really enjoy putting these herbs together. Yeah. And I think I enjoy that the most because people then use them and they come back That's right. to get more because it's really helping them. That's right. That's right. So I never make something and then just sell it. I always test it on myself sure. first. But yeah, that's I think that's been the most rewarding part of the process is well, actually. I'm drinking, I'm drinking some cinnamon tea from you right now. I, I forget oh, the name of it, that, but this is one of yours. Cinnamon is yeah. a popular one. Yeah, oh, it was it's awesome. It's, I love it. Um, now, you can tell, you gotta tell me though, I'm sure I'm doing it wrong. I'm all about a little agave and some lemon juice in my tea. Am I, am I doing it wrong? I You're should leave it alone? You're never doing it wrong. Everyone does it the way they wanna do it. Okay. And the only thing that I coach people on is uh, like the temperature of the water, you know, mm -hmm. and I always include a little card with the tea because I'm like, okay, I didn't know that you could burn tea leaves, mm. right? So there's a certain temperature that you want to keep the water at. Yeah. Um, so that's that's probably one of the main coaching points that I, I share with people. But other than that, I really don't think you can do it wrong. You don't want to have the tea. Um, like this bottle is really interesting because when the water is touching the strainer, it's, it's still steeping. Right. Right. But when it's not anymore, it's no longer steeping the right. tea. So, you know, oversteeping is something I think we've always done because with tea bags, you put it in there and then you leave it. Right. Yeah. Right. So then people are like, oh, my tea tastes bitter. Well, I don't like the flavor. It's because it's been steeping for too long. Right. Right. So like with black tea, you definitely don't want that to sit in the water more than you know, five minutes. Otherwise it might get too strong. Right. And then that bitterness kicks in. 
Yeah. Uh, the teas that I purchase, I try to get really high quality loose leaf tea yeah. that even if you oversteep it, it's not going to taste bitter and bad. Like it's just so high quality that it's just going to be good. It okay. might be a little bit stronger, but you're not going to get that bitter Some people like it more flavor. Intense. Right, but you're not going to get bitter. that bitterness. The right. bitterness usually comes from low quality. Mm. <laughs> you you teach me a lot, right? Yeah, now. it just comes from low quality. Like if you're buying Lipton and you're saying you don't like tea, it's because it's not high quality tea. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Lipton. <laughs> not a sponsor of this show. We're no, good. no, no. <laughs> I'm Jeff. And I'm Jeff. And we're the hosts of I Like Beer, the podcast. Teachers by day, beer drinkers by night. We promote local breweries. We toast, roast, and pour one out for all things beer and life related. Come play beer or not a beer with us. Find us wherever you get your podcasts at I Like Beer, the podcast. Welcome to Velocity, the Vista Chamber podcast, where we dive deep into Vista's heartbeat. Join engaging conversations with local heroes, movers, shakers, and change makers shaping Vista's spirit. Tune in anytime, anywhere for a personalized connection to community stories. Velocity goes beyond info. It's a bridge connecting Vista's diverse voices. Hosted by me, Chamber CEO, Rachel Bell. Powered by the Vista Chamber of Commerce, your go-to for the heartbeat of Vista's vibrant community. Now, there was one quote that I had read from you, um, and it was, um, Oceanside is a perfect place to test out a new product or concept. Yeah. What made you say that? Where'd that come from? Well, because it it was home, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I felt like when you're, I knew the risk of opening a tea business mm -hmm. because- You didn't know the pandemic was coming. But that's I didn't know the story. pandemic was coming. <laughs> so I, I got my space in 2019 mm -hmm. And I knew that I wanted to have a physical space, not do an online store because it's it's a very sensory type mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, you had um, places like Tivana, who had been purchased by Starbucks. I think right. when I decided to start my concept, it was a couple years after grad school. During grad school, I thought about the idea. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, sitting with my cohort. I was at Pepperdine, mm -hmm. and I'm with a cohort of like. 14 students and I I was I was going to do a paper on a marketing paper on tea. Okay. And I decided not to and my professor was like that could have been like your the start of your business. So he dinged me on my paper because I didn't do it on mm. on tea cuz he really wanted to see he what was that was going to be. Yeah. But there was this seed planted about tea cuz I I was really thinking about going down that path. I'm like it's the second most consumed beverage in the world but we really don't consume it that much here. Mm -hmm. You know, the rest of the world is, but like, why aren't we consuming it? So it was always something that I was interested in, kind of always looking at. And a couple years later, I'm with my daughter and we're having tea in bed. Yeah. And we, we like do the whole thing. Like we had the teapot and the teacups and our little snacks. In and bed? Like we do this, this whole tray, you know, you get okay. served on the tray. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, we do the whole thing at yeah. night. So we're sitting there and I'm pouring her some tea. She's like, does everybody do this? Right. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if everyone has tea at night, but. They should. They should, <laughs> right? I'm like, I like it. So she's like, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe they should. And then I was like, well, maybe we should start a tea business. And we had just, I had just taken her to a tea room. So I was like, maybe we should open a tea room. Mm -hmm. So we look over and our dog Bliss was mm. on the floor next to us. And we're like, well, let's name it Bliss. <laughs> and she's like, as long as we have treats. So Bliss Tea and Treats, right? There it is. That's how, that's how we came up with the name. Yeah. So she's sitting there, she's doodling and she doodles the logo. And I send it to a graphic designer. He creates the logo. And then... I think, okay, well, what if I just keep going with this? And what if I just see what happens? And part of me was like, I just want her to see me go through the process yeah. of doing this. Like, I just want her to see, oh, what if, what if you come up with an idea and you just keep going? You just keep follow through. Yeah. And um, so I did. Yeah. Like, I just kept going. And every time I would be like, oh, my God, this is hard. Mm -hmm. I would just be like, no, I want to see how this ends. Right. Yeah, I, I want, want to see, see I want her to it. see yeah. how this plays out. Because we would always kind of throw ideas around. Sure. But 
they weren't ideas that kind of stuck. But this one, I was like, let's see if it sticks. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what happened. And then I went through the process of trying to find a space, could not get a landlord mm -hmm. to, to call me back. So then I got a, a, a tenant rep to help me and she was able to help me secure a space. So, you know, I go through the process of the build out. Now here's where the project management kicks back in mm -hmm. because every contractor I spoke to was gonna charge a ton yeah. of money for the build out. And I'm walking around with this 3D rendering of what I want the space to look like. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna charge too much and I'm gonna run out of money, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm like, talking to my architect one day, he's like, yeah, you gotta do it yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. So I just start subbing it out myself. Like I start, I bring in a carpenter to build the front cabinet. I bring in a plumber to do the back. And even if he thinks he can't do it, I'm like, no, this is how we're gonna do it. Um, and we figure it out. It's like we figure it out every step of the way. And I think every bump and bruise I learned along the way uh, helped me to become more connected because I know every single thing mm. that went into creating mm. the space. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that project management, <laughs> it kicked in in a really big way because I had to manage a lot of moving parts while still doing my full-time job. I was mm. still commuting back and forth to LA. I don't know if we talked about that. No, we did. So I'm commuting back and forth to LA because I moved to Oceanside when my daughter's two. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of comfortable in the commute because I'm just used to it. That's two hours, though, isn't it? Each way. Yeah. It's two hours each way. And then I convinced my company to do um, flex scheduling. Like, before people were working at home, mm -hmm. I was convincing them that it needed to happen. Yeah. So we tested it out in my department, the whole working from home thing. So I did that a couple of days. And they realized that employee satisfaction went sky high. Right. Like our department was like top. Yeah. So they're like, okay, let's roll this out to the whole company. So they rolled it out to the whole company and everyone was just like really happy with it, which I think really helped moving into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause then they kind of already had a model. Yeah. So I was working from home a couple of days going into LA and then I realized kind of halfway through the process, my permits are not moving. Like I'm not getting approval and I needed more time and they were doing um, a restructuring at my company. And they're like, oh, we've created this position over here in branding. You can take it or you can take a package. I tried to convince myself to take the other position. Yeah. I did. I was like, give me a week. Yeah. And I tried to convince myself to stay. Yeah. And I was like, I really need to go and like focus. Yeah. Like I need to get these permits approved. I need to get this done. So I left. So you were all in then. <laughs> and that was a huge mm. decision because I was doing really well. Mm, you know, sure. I was like, I was doing really, really well in my career. And um, I knew that I, if I didn't give 100%, that I may not get this done. Right. So I did. I left and I... Um, I practically sat in the city's office every single day. First, I had to deal with the county. First, you have to get through the county. Yeah. So I went, now I'm going to the county on a regular basis to get that approved. Okay, get that approved. Now I'm dealing with the city. Okay, can't move things forward. They're asking for a lot of different things. So now I'm going to the city every day. Every day I'm getting dressed, mm -hmm. fully dressed, full-on dress, full-on makeup, red lipstick, and I'm in there every single day. Yeah. And now they know me. Mm -hmm. And now they're driving by the location, and they're like, oh, it looks like you're ready to go. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if they didn't think I was serious before, <laughs> yeah. but now they know I'm serious because I'm here every day. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most important things a business owner can do is represent themselves. Because if you have an architect going, representing you, they're not connecting to that person to your business. Mm -hmm. That's just another project. Sure. But when the business owner is showing up, mm -hmm. now they're like, oh, she's serious. She needs this open. Yeah. So now they're like, okay, like, 
okay, we need to get this done. So now I'm advocating for myself and I'm saying, okay, well, I really don't think I need a grease trap because I'm not selling coffee. Tea does not create grease. Like now I'm like pushing back on some of the requests and we're moving things along. So we finally get through all of the permitting and the fire department and so forth and March 2020 hits. And it's like March 13th, they come... Well, they weren't going to come because the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, you've been waiting for so long. We're going to come. Yeah. Even though we're not supposed to. Yeah. We're going to come out. And they gave me my final approval. They said, you can open, but you can't open. <laughs> you got to figure out how to do takeout. Yeah. And my model was just not a takeout business, sure. right? It was not fast food. It was not quick service. It mm-hmm. was come in and have tea, you yeah. know? So quickly... I pivot to, okay, I got to figure out how to do this online ordering. So I start building this online ordering system and I'm, you know, DoorDash and Grubhub and I'm figuring it out. And um, I'm like, okay, we, we missed March, but we can't miss Mother's Day. Like we have to be open for Mother's Day. Yeah. So that was then our goal. And all this time I'm still paying rent. Like I mm-hmm. never yeah. got a break yeah. on the rent. I'm still paying rent. Yeah. So that was also my incentive, like, I'm paying for this, I got to do it. So we opened. And we did Mother's Day tea to go. Yeah. And people came and they picked up their Mother's Day in a basket, in a bag, and they took it home to mom and set it up. And what was rewarding was after we finally opened physically, some of those moms came in and they they were like, you know, my kids and my husband they they ordered this for me and i really wanted to come and say thank you and um so yeah that's that's how i love it and now and it really does seem like perfect it's perfect for oceanside uh that is the the right place to do what you did uh in that city it reminds me of something that um christy hawthorne who we'll talk about uh in a minute um she called the way she put it, I'm trying to remember the way she put it she called Oceanside kind of the gateway to San Diego County like if you're coming from LA it's like the first big city where you can stop you can go to the beach you can go to the downtown you get something to eat you use the restroom whatever it is on that long commute Oceanside is the, and it, I never even pictured it that way right yeah. I, I lived in Carlsbad I lived in San Diego I live in Vista now but Oceanside is that first hit if you're just driving down the five that's what you're going to hit you know, yeah. uh, after you get past, you know, the darkness of Camp Pendleton, you know. So um, it just seems like a perfect city for just like a, even a small business. Um, that's that's just my thoughts there. Now, speaking of her, you're working with her on the Generational Black Pioneers uh, yes. thing. Tell us a little bit about uh, the inspiration behind that, the Generational Black Pioneers. So it really just started with a conversation with Christy. So I I know Christy from the Chamber Mm -hmm. of Commerce. She used to work at the Chamber, and I was on the board. And when she went to the Historical Society, we would email back and forth every once in a while. So I emailed her one day, and I said, Christy, was there any, like, other tea room here? Like, I'm just curious. Like, I just would send her these random questions. Mm -hmm. So this particular day, I'm asking her about tea rooms, and she's sending me some information. And then I asked her... You know, every February, I would get questions about Black-owned businesses in Oceanside, and is there a list? Mm-hmm. And so I asked her, I said, is there a list? Like, do you have any information? So she said, why don't you come over and meet with me? So I go and I sit with her, and Christy has a few books that she's published. I don't know if you know this, no, but Christy's she right. has a few books mm-hmm. on Oceanside that she's published. So we're going through the books, and I realize there's a very short section on African-American history. So we start talking about that. And I said, well, you know, maybe we should just put something out to ask people to submit their history. Because what I don't th- think people understand is the historical society, they don't have the information unless we feed it to them. Right. Right. Like they don't have the bandwidth to go out and look for all of this information. Like if we deliver the information, then they can have it in their archives. Mm-hmm. So we put out this petition for information. And I think secretly I was looking for like inspiration, right? Because I specifically was asking her about black business owners because I felt kind of lonely. 
I felt kind of mm-hmm. lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, like, why aren't there more Black-owned businesses around? Um, so as we were talking through it and kind of, we were, were like peeling back the onion, right? And we're like getting all this information. And I'm like, well, what are we going to do with this information? Mm-hmm. She's not going to publish a book anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So then the idea of a production comes up. Mm-hmm. And we really don't know what this production is going to be. I'm just like, maybe it can be just like a celebration mm-hmm. of black for black history. Um, so that's that's kind of where it started. Yeah. So Linda Bessesti, who's the director, I had her come into Bliss like maybe two years prior to do a Shakespeare play. Okay. So I met her through my brother. Um, who lived in LA as well. And Linda was so amazing that I was like, Linda, you know, are you interested in doing, you know, something like this? And she's like, yeah, I would love to. Mm -hmm. So we bring her down, we have this meeting with her and she's like, okay, well, I'll ask some of my students from Cal Poly, Mm -hmm. Pomona, if they're interested. So she brings down her students to act in this production and we still don't know what this production is really going to be. We just know that we want to really explore the history of black entrepreneurship in okay. Oceanside. Yeah. And we managed to go back like to the early 1900s. Wow. When people first came to Oceanside and those stories inspired me so much that I was like we we just this has to be a thing. Yeah. Like this has people have to see this. Yeah. Um and you know, every time I think about even just sitting through the rehearsals, I said in every rehearsal, you know, I was I was kind of the voice in the corner saying, ah, I think we should try this. You know, project, maybe we the, should try that. The project manager. The project manager. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, I'm a producer, but I'm still a project manager. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a correlation between a producer and a project manager right. until I got into this. Yeah. And Linda's telling me, you're a really good producer. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not a producer. <laughs> It's the same thing. It's yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, being able to put this together was really amazing. And my story was supposed to be included in it, mm-hmm. but it was difficult for me to write my story. Mm. That, that was the hardest part for me. It was difficult for me to write my story to the point that I had to just do audio. Mm. I had to just audio dictate it and then send it to them because okay. it was... I didn't know what it was supposed to be. Mm. And then when I saw them acting it out on stage, it was like so emotional for me because I just, I couldn't believe it. It was like, they did such a good job. What are some tidbits? Give us a couple of little pieces of history that we may not have known. I read about the, actually San Diego County's first black mayor was the first black mayor in Oceanside. Right. Right, Terry that, Johnson. That's that was an awesome article. It was that's inspirational in itself to me. But what what are some others? So Terry Johnson was current history, right? I mm-hmm. mean that was two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you go all the way back to the first black business, um, Charles Edda Man. Charles Edda Man came here in the early nineteen hundreds. Um, she had a a first kind of storefront in her home, right? Well, she she kind of erected a building like next to her home. And that was like the first Black-owned restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charlzetta, she was fascinating because she was like the head of the NAACP. She started a girls club. She had a childcare. Like this woman was like busy. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because having her story be a part of this production then inspired um, Mike Levin to name the post office after her, the Oceanside Post Office after her. So that's going to happen soon. So it's like uh-huh. talking about these stories and keeping them alive inspires that's right. people and inspires not just black people, but everyone. Like it's, they're inspiring stories. Um, there were some military guys who... Um, started a furniture store because, you know, way back when it was, it was hard to get a loan or um, financed to buy furniture. So, you know, they, they would do all of that. They would do all the financing and everything. They opened, they owned a furniture store. The Blade Building, they purchased that building and owned it for 40 years. Wow. 
Yeah. Three military guys. Yeah. Right? They they owned the building for 40 years. I'm like, to own corp- commercial real estate in any city is a big deal, but to own it for 40 years is a, is a big deal. That is a big right? deal. So they, they had a furniture store. So these stories uh, really inspired me because I can drive down the street and see where their business was mm-hmm. and understand how difficult it must have been. Uh, Felix. We did his story as well. Felix That's owns great. Felix Barbecue. Yeah. Uh, so that was an opportunity to get to know him, and learn his story. And these stories are going to be in your play? His story was last year. Okay. So this year we have um, our police chief, Police Chief Sadler. He is the first black police chief, not only in Oceanside, but all of San Diego County. Wow. So Oceanside really lays the, the framework yeah. for being the first Good. In many categories, first mayor, first police chief. That's so um, important. It shows what's possible. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And to, to think that Oceanside is leading the way yeah. in a lot of this. Now, and I understand that you like the future is you bring this to schools and to workshops and, and stuff as well. Is that right? Yeah. So last year we um, we did the production at the Brooks Theater and then the schools invited us to bring it to, to the high school. So we took it to Oceanside and El Camino High School. Um, this year, I'm really excited that the middle schools are also involved this year. Okay. So we're busting the middle schools into dress rehearsal on the 16th, so they'll get to see that at the Brooks Theater, which is exciting because yeah. in middle school, eh, you may not have been to the theater yet, right? Yeah, yeah. So they get like the behind the scenes, making of the production, they get to interact with the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're gonna bust in from four middle schools. Awesome. So that's pretty awesome. And then we have um, two productions at El Camino and one production at Oceanside. At Oceanside, we'll stay longer and have a discussion with the cast and, and the students. So it's it's a really good relationship, I think, that we're forming with the, the school district because they see the importance Absolutely. of these stories mm-hmm. and keeping them alive in mm-hmm. Oceanside. And... It inspires us to keep telling them. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's beautiful. And and it's got to be really impactful to the audience as well. Mm-hmm. The um, the public can see it though, right? When and where? So the public can see the production on the 17th at 7 o'clock at the Brooks Theater in Oceanside. And on the 18th at 2.30 at the Brooks as well. Right. Yeah. So those two shows are available to the public and... They can go to the Oceanside Theater Company website to buy tickets. They can also go to generationalblackpioneers.com and find the links to where they can get tickets. We also are doing an offshoot of the production at the, we're partnering with the library and the museum Mm -hmm. uh, to do a discussion panel with the pioneers themselves. So we're inviting some of the pioneers out the community can interact with them and have a discussion and ask questions. So I, I think that's really going to be a fun dialogue. Yeah. Because now you actually get to get their perception of seeing themselves on stage. Yeah. And what it means to be a pioneer. That's it. Yeah. I directly love Directly from them. Yeah. So I think that's going to be really fun. I think that that additional... Uh, Program is is really going to give a, a huge behind the scenes perspective mm-hmm. on on what we're doing. Generationalblackpioneers.com. Okay, everybody should go there. I'm going to the show. I'm going. I haven't decided the 17th or the 18th, but I'm definitely going. And uh, everybody, go to the website. They can all get tickets there as well on the well, website. It will, it will take them to the to the link where okay. they can get the the tickets. Yeah. Okay, so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, now. One last thing before we go, uh, I, I've been on your website and uh, heard a few podcasts. Um, heard you giving some real inspirational talks uh, and conversations to people who are looking to become entrepreneurs and, and so forth. Um, I hope you bring that back for one. I hope you bring that show back um, because I thought it was very inf- informative and uh, you know, nice and short too. They were, you know, mm-hmm. just good clips of information. But for our wannabe entrepreneurs in our audience, uh, you have a piece of advice uh, for them from your 
super project manager mind. <laughs> you know, I, I think the advice that I would give is just keep going. Like the advice that I gave myself when I was sitting there with my daughter and coming up with this idea of let's just see if we keep going and not quit what this would be. Yeah. And I think that when you tell the universe that this is what you want to do, and then you keep taking those steps, the journey will be revealed, right? right? Because I, I personally don't feel like I'm fully responsible for this. I feel like I was just obedient and following through with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's what has to happen. It's like you have to trust that the journey is going to be revealed. Yeah. And the next step is always going to be shown. And sometimes it's scary. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that next step is, is scary and you're like, can I really do that? And yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. I love yeah. it. I love it. All right. Uh, Rochelle Gordon, I really appreciate you being here, taking the time in this crazy San Diego weather to, to make it here and uh, spend some time with us. I will be back to Blisty and Trees, but I'll see you first on the 17th or the 18th yes. um, to come see the show. And my parents are coming, the family's coming. We're going to, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. What's having you? Thank you. Generationalblackpioneers.com. Mm -hmm. Blissteatreats.com. Yeah. Bliss Tea Treats. Bliss Tea Treats. dot com. Okay. Visitor, um, please keep supporting. And thank you all for listening. Uh, please like, subscribe, comment, support the show. Spread the word. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you again on the next one. Peace.